Today's episode is brought to you by Pale Horse Media Co. Head on over to www.palehorsemedia.co for more of your favorite shows, books, and merch. I have two brand new releases for you over at Pale Horse Media Co. The first one, In His Name, My First Dive Into Fiction. It is just a fun, cool thriller if you're into that kind of sort of thing. And and we have the second expanded edition of the original, of the OG Safety Sucks, the bullshit and the safety profession they don't tell you about. I go through, I expand on some thoughts, add some bonus material, reflect on some of the chapters. So if either of those sound like things you should be interested in, again head over to www.palehorsemedia.co CO or find them on your Amazon marketplace. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for all of your support of the books of the podcast of the merch store of everything. It truly means the world to us. This, this, this show is brought to you by safety FM. What does your 2021 look like? Mine is looking pretty full. I am planning my calendar, getting everything geared up and ready to go. So if you need help doing safety a little differently, a little better, if you want to talk human and organizational performance, if you need a speaker, a coach, training, let me know. Head on over to www.safetybetterment.com. Let's talk. Today's episode is also brought to you by hopuniversity.org. everybody, Sam Goodman, the Hop Nerd, bringing you another episode of the Hop Nerd Podcast, coming to you from the sunny and the beautiful downtown Phoenix, Arizona, here in the PaleHorseMedia.co studios, hanging out, chatting with you. We're going to continue on our Safety Sucks, the miniseries. We're going to continue down that path, but before we do, head over to www.com thehopnerd.com. Follow along on all things social media at The Hop Nerd, except for Twitter because it is super duper special. It is The Hop Nerd One. Go check me out on the gram. Go follow along on the Instagram. I've been hanging out, having fun over there. You know, I, I avoided it for a very, very long time. I avoided it much like I continue to avoid Twitter <laughs> in a lot of ways. Um, but I'm, I'm hanging out on Instagram. I'm posting some cool stuff. So make sure you go follow along, you know, anywhere that you find people or stuff that you follow or places where you put words or pictures together, you're, you're probably going to find me. You're going to find me under the hop nerd. You're going to find pale horse media co you're going to find hop university. You're going to find really effing scary stories. You're going to find all of that sort of stuff. So make sure you go follow along show us some love. I can't tell you how much we appreciate that. That's literally what keeps the lights on here. So head over, give us a like, give us some love. Oh, and slide into the DMs. Let us know what you think. You uh, you have an idea about somebody you want to have on the show. You have some thoughts on some of the topics that we cover. You have a topic that you want to hear me rant and rave about. Let me know. Slide into the DMs or send me an email at thehopnerd at gmail.com or sam at thehopnerd.com. So today... I want to jump into a little bit of the chapter of the book on work-life balance. We're, we're going to dive into a little bit of that. I've, I've gotten a lot of feedback. You guys are really enjoying, you all are really enjoying this um, kind of insertion of the little snippets from the audio book and giving some a dialogue around that. So we're, we're going to do a little bit more of that, but I wanted to start here. I thought that this was a really, really good starting point was just to start 
with my story about how I kind of arrived at safety sucking. So, so let's jump into that. So many of you already know, and you can, you can go back and listen through the episodes and pick up some of the story. I think way back when, at the very beginning of the podcast, when I was sitting in my bedroom all alone recording the, <laughs> the first episodes of the, the podcast, I covered some of this. Um, but let me, let me jump into it. Um, I started in safety at a pretty young age, and, and I often say that I grew up in safety. Um, I was fortunate enough to get some opportunities in the profession very young. And before that, so kind of the the, the pre pre story, I guess. Um, I you know I graduated from high school. I went to college, and I was pursuing a degree in administration of justice. Um, eventually, you know, uh, I ran away and become a firefighter instead of a police officer, and I did that for for many years. Um, and then I found myself uh, with an opportunity to go and start working nuclear outages. So to become an outage worker, um, traveling across the country, working at various different nuclear power plants. For those folks out there, most of you are probably familiar with that life. Um, but for those that are not, um, nuclear plants go into outages You know, on a certain cycle uh, every year, every two years, uh, based off of you know refueling. So during these refueling outages, they basically storm the place with a bunch of contract workers that come in and do all the work that they can't do when they're online. So I was one of those stormtroopers <laughs> that ran in and did a bunch of work at a plant over the course of a few months. You know, pre-outage, outage, post-outage, stay there for three or four months, and then I would run away and go to another plant for another three or four months and. Then I would call that a year. So, you know, as a young man, that was a very good career. Um, I like to say that I was working homeless because <laughs> I didn't really have any place that I lived. I just lived from hotel to hotel, you know, and then I would go back to my hometown in Virginia uh, and spend some of the summers and some of the winter months there. And then just like clockwork, spring and fall, I would be right back on the road, running the roads from plant to plant to plant, and then just did that for several years. And before that, other than um, some some brief playtime I had around mining and some other things, uh, I'd never really experienced what the safety profession was. I didn't even really know that it existed. And the funny thing is, the, the, the hilarious thing about this is that my father, who has long since passed away, um, he worked around industry and he worked around nuclear generation later in his life. And he told me that when I was signing up for college, he's like, look, you know, you know, going to school, you know, that's a, you know, being a cop, that's, that's a noble profession. That's, that's cool. But there's this thing called uh, safety and these folks, you know, this is probably, I think you'd do good at this career. And I'm like, what, what the WTF, what the fun, what the fun is safety. And that sounds super boring pass. Right, so it's funny that you know you kind of come full circle in this entire thing, and find you know find yourself back in that profession. I guess what I'm saying is my my father knew all along. I guess he had the foresight to to know all along. But once I jumped into the nuclear world, I got to see the profession of safety, and I was very fortunate to have experiences with some amazing safety folks some amazing human performance consultants and just folks very early on in my career. That's not always the case. So I'm, I'm not picking on anybody, but I'm just saying that that's not always the case. But I, I was very fortunate enough to have those experiences early and see a really good side of the profession. 
So as I dabbled around in leadership and other things, different roles kind of in that world, I just finally decided, I'm like, you know, I think dad was right. That that looks like a really cool job. And, you know, I, I started reaching out to these folks. I started having conversations with them. And again, luck. This this is some luck. And I can't say it's completely luck. I mean, I sought them out, but very fortunate to find some really great people again. And I found folks that were willing to take me under their wing and mentor me and then uh, eventually give me some some chance, right? To give me give me a chance at jumping into the profession. And when I started as a safety professional, I was about as low as you could get, <laughs> you know, overall. I was a safety tech one and I only got the one because there was nothing lower than a safety tech one <laughs> in this organization. This was like the, hey, we're going to give you a shot and uh, we'll see what happens, right? And, and that, that's what it was. So I jumped in and I had to work twice as hard to prove myself, which again, I think this was all probably really good stuff. Um, every waking moment that I didn't, uh, I wasn't in the field learning and doing things like that, I had my nose in the regs and in books and just, just really pouring myself into it and committing myself to learning as much as I possibly could about the profession and about all the things that you know I, I needed to know or thought that I needed to know. And again, I, I had some great mentors pushing me in directions of, uh, in the direction of the things that I needed to learn. Um, and it was great. It was a really, really great experience. That first kind of jump into the profession, you know, I spent a, a year or so ish, you know, at, at a location and again, traveling, traveling safety pro still at this point, you know, still a road dog, still wandering around and doing all those things. And I eventually found myself in a longer term position, you know, and so again, anything over a year plus kind of in that world is longer term. So I found myself at a location that I ended up staying at for a little over three years um, at, a, at a nuclear plant. I was still kind of in the, not kind of, I was, I was, I was very much hot and heavy in the nuclear world. Um, I had done some fossil work and some various things in between, um, but I found myself at this nuclear facility for about three years. And this is where it all started to come together around the suck. Up until this point, you know, uh, I, I would stay at a location for three months, seven months, maybe 12 months max. Um, and being a road dog, it's very easy to kind of fall into this cycle of going, okay, well, it might suck, but I'm going to be gone pretty soon. And I'm going to just, you know, this summer I'm going to be out on the boat, on the lake, and I don't really care. I worry about this next fall. I'm going to be at another location in a few weeks anyways, or I'm going to be heading home for a little while. The sucks had been there, but they were much easier to deal with. Uh, and especially in kind of the outage world, the sucks weren't... I, I, I guess they weren't as bad, you know, or at least not as noticeable because there was so much work happening. But now that, you know, I found myself into this position of being the day-to-day -day safety manager for an organization for a longer period of time and this becoming my home and kind of all those sort of things, I started to really feel a lot of the sucks of safety um, that my mentors, you know, had touched on a little bit, but not a ton, right? And I started to really experience them firsthand. And a lot of the first really noticeable suck for me was work-life balance. A, a lot of the issues around work-life balance that we, we face in the safety profession, because as we know, safety is everywhere. That means the safety practitioner must be ding, 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 ding. You guessed it, everywhere. And not only everywhere, but they must be everywhere. Oh, you got the bonus points too. Always. They have to be there always. You know, kind of going back to the outage world, 
you sign up for outages. You know that you're going to be working 70 plus hours a week. You know that, right? You, you get that. But not only do you know you're going to be working them, you know you're going to get paid for them because that's how the positions work. You know, you work hours and then people give you money for the hours that you work and then you're done, you go home. But that's not how that works in the day-to-day world of safety, right? Outside of outages, outside of authorized overtime, right? It never quite works out that way. A lot of times, the person that is hired as the safety manager, that just means that they're the safety person for everything, right? And it also usually means that, okay, not you're the safety person for everything. Safety is everywhere. That means the safety practitioner must be everywhere, and the safety practitioner must be everywhere always. That means you have to be here uh, 24-7. We're going to buy you a cot if you're lucky. We'll buy you a cot for your office. But what that really means is this, is that you're the safety manager. You're responsible for safety, and no, damn it, we're not hiring anybody else. You take care of it. We hired you, so we don't have to pay for other safety people. We just need one. But there's a 1,000 people. I don't care how many people's here. You got it. It's you. You got it. You're going to be the safety lone wolf. And I say that because a lot of times you talk to safety folks, they find themselves in that position, right? We find ourselves in this lone wolf safety position, and it's pretty uncommon for us to actually have a safety team, right? Certain projects, we might end up with a extra person. A lot of times we don't end up with a true safety practitioner, and I'm, I'm not bashing it. Uh, don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not picking on anybody here. But a lot of times they'll say, well, just just take Bob. You know, Bob's a, Bob's a great craftsperson. Um, just use Bob. Bob's your new safety, your safety assistant, right? You take, you know, take care of that. Bob can work back shift for you. And then as the safety manager, you find yourself there just working back shift anyways because it's not Bob's fault. Bob just doesn't know what to do. So you find yourself working 16, 17 hours a day anyways. So you might as well just stay. And I, I use the 16, 17 hour a day kind of example because that's what I found myself working in this position. That was what that, that's what was expected uh, and demanded of safety practitioners. And I won't name any names for the organizations, um, but they were very quick to say, well, if you can't fulfill that duty of 16, 17 hours a day, keep in mind unpaid. So let, let me let me throw that out there. 16, 17 hours a day paid for 40 because there was no authorized overtime. Right. So, again, Oh no, that's some wonky, wonky math to me. But you end up working all of those hours unpaid, trying to do what that organization expects of you to do. And you're sitting there working all those hours, watching all the leaders of this organization go in and out of the gate. You know, oh, that's my eight hours are done for the day. I'm going home. Safety, you got it. That's a common predicament that safety practitioners find themselves in. And we, we've, we've illustrated several issues there, right, that we talk about, that I talk about in the book, Safety Sucks. Um, but that work-life balance, that almost destroyed me. This was the point. This was the real point in my career where I was going, screw this. I will live under a bridge before I do this a day longer. <laughs> I was done, done. Not only that, but I was so done with these kind of more traditional approaches to safety. I was in a heavily, a very heavy compliance-based organization that favored rules above all else. And again, this isn't to get all into the uh, safety one, safety two, hop, traditional safety, you know, new view conversation. 
but I was just very frustrated in general, right? This, this was a time in my career where it's like, okay, everybody stand in front of the zero banner so we can take the picture. You know, the senior director corralling people in front of a banner that says, we've worked a million hours without an injury. Stand in front of here. <laughs> you know, great job, everybody. And then here I am trying to fall asleep, kind of standing in the picture because I've been working, you know, 20 hours straight. Um, so the work-life balance was non-existent. So as I said, this is all coming to a head at this point, and I'm ready to walk away. I'm, I'm just, I'm ready to walk away. The one thing that really kind of sparked a new fire in me is one of my friends um, I shared like a little cube office space with um, who actually worked for the one of the clients. Again, I'm, I'm, I'm a contractor at this point in my world. Or in my life, you know, again, just a long-term construction contractor, maintenance contractor for a large utility. And one of my friends that actually worked for the client um, that I kind of shared an area with could kind of tell, right? I mean, you can kind of tell when your buddies are off a little bit. And I came in one day and he had actually placed the book Safety Differently by Sidney Decker on my desk with like a note that's like, read this. It's kind of like, read this, make you feel better, right? You'll just read this and see what you can come up with. And so I will say this, and I've said this a few times, that's probably not the right book to start with if you want to go down the path of learning about the new view or doing safety differently. That's probably not the best book. It's a little, it's a little thick for, for right reason. Um, it's a great book, but maybe a few books in, that would be a good place to go. But I read it. I read it cover to cover, and it was so different than anything that I had experienced in my life up until that point that I was like, this is it. This is it. And it, it sparked a new fire, a new desire in me to, to pursue um, kind of what you see me doing right now. So I guess you, I either... You can either thank them or blame them for the fact that I'm here screaming to you in this microphone. But I was still at the issue or still at at ahead with the issue around work-life balance and the fact that, okay, I'm working nonstop. I'm, 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 I'm making a good living, but I'm definitely not getting paid for the hours that I work. And it's really taking a toll on my personal relationships. It's taking a toll on my health. And I'm just going, is it, is it worth it? And every answer Every time I got to an answer, it was always no. It was always no. So at that moment, I came to this conclusion that I was working for a shithead employer, right? And I'm not naming names. I'm not, I'm not screaming at them, but there is a time and place. Because I get this question a lot. I'm like, I'm dealing with this and this and this and this. And I'm talking to them and they're not listening. And I'm trying to, to get them to understand that I'm really struggling here and I need some help. And, you know, that's where I was at. And for me, I had decided at that, po- at, that, at that point that I did not want to walk away from safety. I decided at that point that I wanted to work on their profession, that I wanted to make safety not suck. I, I had no clue about safety sucks the book at this point in my career. I had no idea that I would ever go down the path of a podcast at this point in my career. I had no idea that I would become, uh, you know, or, or that I would move in the direction of trying to become a voice for betterment within the safety profession, all right, to, to try to become someone that rallies us in the direction of making our jobs not suck too. Um, but I knew at this point that I didn't want to run away from the profession because I was really close. I was really close. I had I had a couple opportunities and I, I had a few things lined up to where I was like, okay, I'm just going to pull the trigger and I'm going to run away. And if it works out, it works out. If it doesn't, I don't really care. I just don't want to do this anymore. I'm done. But when I found that book, or when that book found me, found me through a friend, um, 
it started me on this path of learning. And I, I dove deeper and deeper and deeper. So it, it obviously started with Sage Differently, which led me into reading everything that Todd writes, written and, and continue to read everything that Todd writes. And down this long list, long laundry list of books and probably a more non-traditional path to reading them um, than most. Again, I started with Safety Differently, um, but it reignited the passion that I had originally found when I jumped into the profession. This idea of actually serving and helping people, right? Actually helping people, not the optics of helping people, but actually trying to help people and making work not suck, right? That's That was such a huge piece for me that I had drifted away from through the beatings and through the lack of work-life balance and, th- and through all of those things. But I was ready. I was ready to go and I was ready to jump back in. So to shorten that story just a little bit, because I could rant about it forever, is I said, bye, <laughs> right? see you guys. And I, I went off and got a safety job in the place where I was valued. I said, see you. I'm, I'm done. Bye. No hard feelings, but I, I'm not doing this anymore. See y'all later. Peace. And I went off and, and I found an employer that uh, that I enjoyed, that was that enjoyed me. Let me say <laughs> that, that we got along. We saw it eye. And an employer that entrusted me with leading change in the organization, an employer that trusted me with moving safety in a different direction. But almost all of that, almost all of this, this podcast, the book Safety Sucks, everything else that I've got planned in my head for the future, it all, almost none, it it could have just never happened, right? It could have just never happened because of the sucks of safety that almost ran me out of the profession. And a lot of it had to do with work-life balance. So with that big, long story, let's jump into a little bit of a little bit of the book, and then we'll wrap it up, and we'll call it all fun and done. Look, work sucks. Work sucks for everyone. How does that saying go? That's why they call it work. But I think we're all waking up to the fact that work should suck a whole lot less. For some reason, that thinking has not progressed to the safety profession. Our group is one of the last holdouts in the work should suck camp. Our companies think our lives should suck. We think our lives should suck. We still seem to believe that things should be awful and they must be as awful as possible. We persist in the belief that we should harm our mental health, our personal relationships, and overall personal well-being to earn a paycheck. For some safety folks, I believe they think that it makes the profession more noble. Our employers must just be sadist pricks. Hey y'all, me again. (laughs) I just want to jump in and say too that for some reason, it's like we viewed this for a really long time as like a badge of honor, right? That it's like the more that our life sucks, the more that we just drag out our days working 20 hours a day at work and the more that we're just miserable, the more, the better we are at keeping people safe, I guess, for some reason. I guess that's how that works. It's like the more that the safety person suffers, the less the workforce suffers, I guess, is the way we viewed it. And it, it's as stupid as it sounds, but we've all kind of been there where we're going, oh, just more, yeah, just make more time, more, more suck and make it better, right? And that's just not true, right? So I just wanted to jump in and say that, and let's, let's dive right back in. One of the biggest beefs I come across and one of the biggest culprits are the horrible hours that most safety foros face. 
employers under staff safety departments, all while insisting uninterrupted or near uninterrupted safety coverage. Most of us have first-hand experience in how that ends up. We work night, day, and everything in between. We are always on call, being expected to answer the phone or come back to work at any given moment. I have even heard of some safety professionals being fired for failing to answer a phone or respond to an email in the middle of the night. One of my favorite personal experiences, God, I hope my sarcasm is coming through in this thing, was with a company that demanded we, we being the safety department only, arrive to work one hour early and remain after for an additional hour. They labeled this as professional time. It was mandatory. It was not only mandatory, but it was also unpaid. That means if you were working a 10-hour shift, you would be required to work 12 hours while only being paid for 10. It was actually a pretty common practice for a while. You have probably noticed there are a few lawsuits nowadays from these shady cost-cutting practices. Did you work for Imaginary XYZ Corporation between 2007 and 2016? Did you work hours that you were not compensated for? Call 1-800-WE-SUE-FOR-YOU now. True story. Yeah, absolutely true story. So I was working for a company that required that of all safety professionals and only safety professionals that you arrive to work one hour before you stay at work one hour after your actual quit time. And it was mandatory every single day and you were not compensated for it. Wacky, wacky stuff. And there literally are, there, there literally are lawsuits for a couple of these companies. Uh, because again, same story about people not answering their emails in the middle of the night. Um, I seen a safety manager for this organization um, get fired because they didn't wake from their sleep when they received an email from a high level director at two in the morning and reply because I guess they were supposed to be up and watching their email in case this super duper special director sent them an email. But the funny part is, you know, when I was living through this, I just kind of thought that that was normal, that that was like a normal thing. Like, well, of course, because you're supposed to suffer and this is how this works. The more that I suffer. And if I'm up at two answering emails and I'm keeping people safe, that, that's, that's what's happening. And you know, if that's what the director wants, that's what the director gets. Damn it. That's how life's supposed to work. Um, and you know, not only did I think that was normal, but what I found out the af after, um, kind of coming on the scene and hanging out with everybody, um, I found out that a lot of people had similar experiences well outside of the organization that, that I'm kind of speaking about. So <laughs> we all kind of have a shared experience around these things, maybe not to that extreme. And some folks have shared even more extreme situations. So, um, I guess that's the wackier part is it's, that's, that's a normal thing. And it shouldn't be. Let's jump back in. I'm Mr. Doom and Gloom. I know there are a lot of systemic and insidious problems that we need to work on, but we are officially woke now, and I'm certain that we will tackle them. I'm sure of it. I see a lot of amazing changes already taking place. Change is just slow, too slow, really. But here is some good news. You'll figure out how to deal with and overcome some of these issues on your own. Some will self-resolve with experience. You will move on from employers that do not deserve to have you, and you will find some healthy coping strategies that you can employ. But in the meantime, here are a few good ways that I have found to grow through the hard times. These are some things that you can use while we are fixing the setting in which we work. Find a mentor. 
This is huge. I lucked up and had a few amazing mentors. These are folks I still call to this day. They act as a voice of reason, guiding me through the hard times. They let me vent and complain. They help guide me on how to deal with the issues many of us face in their careers. Lean on family and friends. Do not shut them out. Tell them what's going on. Give them the opportunity to support you through the challenging times. I tried really hard to be tough and to leave work at work. That does not work so well when your phone is ringing at 2 o'clock a.m. They see it already. Open up and talk about it. Let them be there for you so you can be there for them. Disconnect. This is pro tip number one. Nowadays, I work extremely hard to protect my personal phone number from work. If they get it, I change it. That sounds pretty harsh, but it's necessary. You need to draw a line. Here's pro tip number two. Every day when I get home from work, I put my phone on airplane mode and put it in a kitchen drawer. I leave it there for a couple of hours each and every day. I go to the gym, I have dinner, I have quality family time, and I just live my life without my work phone and personal phone for that matter for a few hours. It helps a lot more than you would think. If I can leave you with a to-do list, this would be it. Separate work and home as much as you can. Take a few hours every day to disconnect. Find people that you can lean on and lean on them. Those three things will not solve everything, but they will help, and they will help a lot. When we make work better, we make lives better. Simply put, by making the world a better place to work, we make the world a better place altogether. If you are struggling and do not know what to do, reach out to a trusted friend or call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at one 800 273 So in the meantime, I, I think it is really good to leave folks with a little bit of kind of a to-do list. And that's what I really did. So kind of towards the tail end of that not-so-great employer experience that I was sharing with you, you know, I really tried my best to start to implement this to-do list that we just talked about. And I've made it a point um, with every year to really just ratchet down that much harder on it and, and to add to it. But to really get to the basics of it, it really is that, is to try to separate work and home as much as you can. And look, I, I'm not living in la-la land. I get it. We can't. Work and home, it's, it's really kind of become the same thing. It, it just is in, in our world. But there is a way to do that. And for me, I find that it really goes into the second part of that, which is find time to disconnect every single day, right? And on uh, on weekends that I don't work, <laughs> I'm not working, right? I think it's really come, it probably boils down to this, is to be present in what you're actually doing. Dramatic pause there. Be present in what you're doing. If I'm spending time with my daughter Avery, I'm not checking my work phone. Sorry, <laughs> right? I'm not checking LinkedIn. I'm not checking in on the podcast. I'm not checking emails. When I'm spending time with my daughter, with my family, with friends, whatever, I'm invested in that moment. I'm not trying 
to multitask between that moment or slice it up into little bits of work in between. I'm just not. So a way that I really found that was helpful with that for me is there's a few hours every single day that when I come home, I put my phones in the drawer and I walk off and leave them. Crazy stuff, right? Crazy, insane. I'll even put my phone in a drawer and drive off and leave it at home sometimes. But what would I do if I, safety? What would I do if I get a flat? What would I, what? I don't know. I, I walk. I, I live in downtown Phoenix. I found a payphone. They still exist here. <laughs> Believe that or not. <laughs> maybe, I, maybe I just lean into the goodness of people too much. I'll just ask somebody for a ride, I guess. <laughs> but I do that. That, that's a that's a tool that I use to do that. I drop the phone in the drawer, I ignore it. I shut the computer. You know, a, another tool that I use nowadays is I give myself a hard quit time. Like, okay, look, I'm done. Especially now where a lot of us are working virtually. It's easy to start working on something and then look up and go, holy shit, it's 9 p.m. So if I set an alarm on my phone and I'm like, I'm, I, I will completely invest into work. I mean, full steam ahead until 5 p.m. When that alarm goes off, it's done. Then I'm investing in whatever else. I just don't try to split up time. So I think it, a lot of that's still going back to that point of being present in what you're actually doing. I think also kind of into that third piece of that to-do list, which is finding people that you can lean on and actually leaning on them. You know, a lot of us, we that's hard. That's hard because we kind of insert that machoism and it even goes back to that kind of notion that we think that it should suck. So why would we be complaining? Because it's supposed to suck. Um, so I think some of that is accepting that it just, it shouldn't suck. Uh, and when it does, it's okay to talk about it. And it is okay to lean on people that love and care about you. And it's okay for you to lean on them and them to lean on you and for you to have that conversation. Find those folks, lean on them. You know, talk to your family about it. They can tell when you're going through the BS anyways, right? We, we try to pretend that we're leaving work at work, just like what we were talking about. But a lot of times we still bring it home. We wear it all over our face, right? And they can see that grumpy, grimacing look and they go, okay, bad day. <laughs> right? So you might as well talk about it anyways. So bring it up, talk about it, lean on people, let them lean on you, you know, lean on your peers, lean on your mentors, lean on your family, your friends, the folks that are there for you. They want you to do that. They want to be there for you. You have to let them be there for you. So I say all those things to kind of help in the interim, but it doesn't, it still doesn't fix the problem, right? We still have to address the issue, right? The, the kind of unethical approach of just using a safety practitioner, a salaried safety practitioner, just to cover everything so we don't have to pay for more safety people, that's kind of sort of dumb, right? It, it never works out, right? As we kind of mentioned, we're seeing 1-800-SUE-4-U kind of happening <laughs> from a lot of those shady practices, right? Um, burning out a safety practitioner because we don't want to have a safety department. We don't want to pay for a safety department. We have to lean in. We have to lean into the problem. We have to start talking about it and we have to start figuring it out. I don't know all the answers to it. I really don't. I really don't, right? I, I think it's a conversation that we have to start having with our employers. I think there is a time and place when you do have a shithead employer, a, if there's my term shithead employer, that you do have to walk away from and go find a better one sometimes, right? I think there is something to that. You know, if, if the employer is not, it's a relationship, right? It's, it's, it's not indentured servitude. It is a relationship, right? You, you are agreeing to work for this employer, right? And they are agreeing to give you certain things in return. And when you feel that that doesn't quite work out, you should walk away. And that's what I find myself, I have found myself do that, uh, you know, a couple times. And I don't think there's any shame in that. I just think it's going, I don't agree with you. And you clearly don't agree with me. So I'm peace out. See y'all later. I'm moving on to something else. I'm going to go find something else. That is an answer. 
right? <laughs> that is that, that can be an answer. But again, I'm still leaning back into this point that I think we need to continue to have the conversation. We need to learn, right? Learn where all this is coming from and have that conversation with their employer and try to figure it out. I think overall, our profession deserves to have work-life balance just as much as any other profession, right? Just because our title of safety does not, it does not just mean that our lives should suck, that we should have to work 20 hours every single freaking day, that that's just how it is because the more we suffer, the safer our workforces are because that's just stupid and not true. What do you think? I'd love to hear your thoughts. Sam at thehopnerd.com, thehopnerd at gmail.com. Head over to the website, www.thehopnerd.com. Head over to pillhorsemedia.co as well for all the latest books and podcasts and all that kind of sort of stuff. And hopuniversity.org for all kinds of online, on-demand, human and organization performance stuff. You can also, if you want, if you want some help doing safety a little bit differently, a little better, if you need some help with learning teams or training or you need a speaker for your next event, you want me to come out and hang out with you and do all kinds of cool safety stuff, Head over to safetybetterment.com. You can find out all that kind of sort of info. Send me an email. Uh, give me a call. Just get in touch. We'll figure that out. We'll see see what that looks like, and we'll go and have all kinds of sort of super-duper safety fun. I look forward to it. 2021 is going to be a blast, and I look forward to coming and hanging out with all of you. So, again, safetybetterment.com. That's all I've got. Sam Goodman, the Hop Nerd, signing off. Bye, bye, bye. bye.